Good morning, Ned. Ciao Davide, ciao bello. Come stai? <laughs> Bene. Where are Bene. you? I'm in Abruzzo, where the sky meets the mountains, meets the morning. Free-flowing traffic at the moment on all approaches to the high-altitude Campo Felice Plateau, where the Church of the Annunciation has opened its car park for use by accredited Giro d'Italia vehicles only. Some diversions are in place around the Via della Chiusa in Rocco di Mezzo, and the local council has erected a giant pink umbrella on the roundabout to the south of the village. Currently, it's a fresh 10 degrees with clear skies and light winds. It's 6.38, and here's Pink Floyd, and set the controls to the heart of the sun. Never Strays Farfalle is brought to you by Chapter 3 and The Roadbook. Chapter 3 was created by David Miller in 2015 with the vision of creating cycling clothing that he would wear as a retired racer. Now they've made cycling kit to meet you wherever your ride takes you. And the good news, it's launching next month. In 2018, a team of dedicated enthusiasts delivered the inaugural edition of The Roadbook Cycling Almanac an annual publication supplying data, essays, and anecdotes from the racing calendar. The Roadbook has become the definitive companion of any serious fan of the sport. Documenting how the season bounced back from the pandemic, the latest 2020 edition has arguably never had such an important place on our bookshelves. Between us, we're giving away four full sets of Chapter 3's new kit, two men's and two women's, as well as four signed copies of the 2020 Roadbook. Plus, four sets of caps and socks with RB Exercise Book and Musette. Bookmark as a secondary prize. All you have to do is head to the episode notes and click the link. How's the Giro, Ned? It's all, it's all right. I'm on a, um, I'm on a plateau, David, in uh, the high mountains Ooh. of Abruzzo, which is called a, uh, it's, a, a, a karstic plateau. Do you know what a karstic plateau is? Uh, I have no idea. I, no. Bet, I bet your dad does, because he likes his he does. geology, doesn't he? Um, he does. A karstic plateau is limestone, um, and it's been it's been cut out by uh, 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 fluvial erosion. Yeah, mm. down the millennia. So underground here, there are lots of underground rivers and caverns and gorges. Um, all kind of deep, deep under the surface of the earth. Named a, there's a, there's a plateau like this in near Trieste, right over actually kind of partly in, mostly in Slovenia, uh, called the Karst Plateau or Kerst as it was originally kind of part of Austria, the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And Kerst is a German word. And, and that's where plateaus like this take their name from. Um, so there's a bit of early morning. There's a bit of early morning geology for you, David Miller. That's like, I love a little bit of early morning geology. Yeah. Ned. Does yeah. this mean we've got another mountain day today? Oh, well, the mountains. well spotted. Yeah. Well yes, spotted. Yes. Oh, it's a so, horrible so, day today. Yeah. But we can come on to that, can't we'll we? We'll come to that hmm. at the end. Let's, I'd like a bit of a recap um, on yesterday's because I was all afternoon at tennis with my children and so missed it completely. You were tennising? I'm a bit gutted. Well, tell me about Watching that. T- tell me about the tennis. Uh, that was really good, actually. I mean, Archie, our nine-year-old, is super into it, getting more and more into it, which is lovely. Um, and Harvey was doing it, so I had Maxine with me. And, and we were watching. It was a really weird one, because up to now, I've not... I've taken him to these occasionally, and and it's a lot of it's been just literally kind of kids playing. There's not really much competition going on. The, the, 
the Spanish are really good at, at teaching kids, by the way. It's a very different culture to, um, to the UK. I mean, he's been playing baseline tennis since he was like six or seven, which they don't even do in the UK. It's all half court stuff. So you can see how they get stronger. But, um, I've kind of got, I usually come to these drop him off and go and sit somewhere with my computer and, and don't really watch. And when I have in the past, he's got, he's not liked it and he's kind of almost wanted me to go because he's, he's painfully shy, Archie, as well. And so I kind of got into that habit, really, of just kind of dropping him off at these things and wandering around and I had Maxine's so looking after her. And then at one point I was there and, and I asked him and I kind of was sitting down and said, Archie, do you want me to watch? And he just kind of looked at me and gave me the tiniest little nod. And it was like kind of a really embarrassed nod as if he, he really did. And I thought, oh no, I wonder how long he's wanted me to watch. Oh and no. And it broke my heart. Oh no. And I thought, oh no, how long has he wanted me to watch? Uh-huh. And it made me think a lot about a lot of things. So I never really had anybody watch me bike racing and I never really was into it. And I don't know, that was a lot of circumstantial as well because I started in Hong Kong and had to get up at like 4.30 in the morning and catch buses places and i was always doing it and then in the uk my mum would take me to races and and drop me off and read the newspaper and it, it wasn't and you know my family is quite small i don't come from a cycling background so it was never something where you had like friends or family out watching so s- sport has always been for me just my thing and actually a lot of the time as i got even went into pros it kind of got to the point where i didn't want people to come and watch, watch me because i wasn't accustomed to it and it and it distracted me mm. And without knowing it, I've been putting that onto Archie and kind of thinking that, and I was like, oh no, but he's not like me and this isn't like that. And it's, it's a total paradigm shift for me. And it's lovely because it means I can actually just go and sit there and watch and, and be like the other parents in, in other sports and stuff. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was a, that was a really, it was a, sort of a, a little bit sad because I regretted that I haven't been watching of late. And then it was lovely at the same time. And then it just made me realize how, how weird I'd been with sport in the sense that I just, yeah, I really, I, I, it made me think a little bit as well of what you were talking about. It was at um, Balzer and him kind of using cycling to sort of get away from things at home. It was Gino, and, it was Gino Maida. Yeah. It was Gino Maida, was it? It was that yeah. really touching was, story about wanting, yeah, his parents to kind of meet and get back together watching him, you know, race at bike race. Yeah. It's such a sad story, but, oh, that's, it's, well, listen, yeah. it's all worked out in the end, hasn't it? It's a happy, kind of happy it's ending. It's all worked right? out in the end. Yeah. So yeah, so it was a, a lovely day. I remember so I'll be watching a lot more tennis, I think. Just, I think. To, just to bring it back to the Giro, very, very, very tenuously, David, I remember mm. almost exactly, I would say 10 years ago, possibly to the day, I was sitting in a car in the pouring rain in Southeast London, um, one early evening, and I phoned you. And you were at the Giro d'Italia rooming with Ryder Hejdal. And I was researching, I was researching a book in which I wrote a bit about your, uh, your formative years. And I did a telephone interview with you over the phone. Um, and as I was doing it, I was really distracted because the reason I was in a car park in the pouring rain in Southeast London is because I was watching Edie play football. <laughs> and Edie, uh, Edie's go. 18 now and Edie would have been eight. And was kind of getting, oh, that's get, exactly, getting almost exactly the same age, getting pushed over by all the bigger kids and, being, you know, because I was totally distracted as a parent, just kind of because I actually just wanted to run out onto the football pitch and rescue them. <laughs> anyway, oh, parenting. Um, yeah. Do you want to know what happened on the bicycle race? A, a little bit. I'd love to know what happened on the bicycle race. Yes. Well, headlines are that um, Ah Attila Walter continues to lead the race. He survived uh, a little uphill finish yesterday in fine fettle, and his team put on a 
good show for him. It was a it was a brutal uh, hour and a half in a, a long plateau, very straight section with a cross tailwind. And and hmm. once again, we had echelons. <laughs> What's going on? I know it's it's a kind of madness. Um, Remco, it's kind of madness. Your mate Remco flagged it up at the beginning when he did an interview. He said um, there will be wind, huh? there'll be wind in the in the opening, and there was, um, and it was full on. And it was a day really to get in the breakaway because of the high probability that the break would go today, which it did. Um, so yeah, it was it was really entertaining. At one point, Egan Bernal ended up in the in the break by mistake and then kind of everybody rounded on him and gesticulated and he looked rather sheepish and slunk back into the into the group at one point Egan Bernal really is flying isn't he if he's just finding himself and moves like that just accidentally like, sorry accidentally like guys are like fighting yeah. tooth and nail to get in a breakaway and Egan's just like whoops sorry <laughs> yeah. um, but it, eventually like it always does it, it, it did go and Peter Sagan missed it there was an intermediate sprint halfway through the stage uh, which would have been his target, I guess, because it wasn't a day for sprinters at all yesterday with an uphill finish. Um, but uh, Peter Sagan missed it. And he's actually got a bit of work to do in the old Malia Ciclamino, which is good for the race because for sure he's going to attack it, you know, in the in the days to come. But he's got to make up on, 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 on a few other riders. Uh, Fernando Gaviria, though, got in the break and um, picked up 12 points at the intermediate sprint. And he's got, like we've said it before, day after day, he's looking like really good and really fresh and back to his old self. We said this yesterday, I think, but he's looking today, sorry, yesterday, he was look, he was so good and so fresh that he screwed up spectacularly, right? Because when the rolling terrain that was kind of the, the prelude towards the final, um, all the more climby riders in that nine-man group at the beginning knew they had to get rid of him because there's a chance, even on a three-kilometre climb to the finish, that he, he'll just roll them he'll survive that and beat them all in the sprint so they all tried to one by one get rid of Fernando Gaviria to no great effect and in the end Gaviria said on this little kind of uncategorized climb Gaviria just went boom and attacked them all and just and just went ha. just went flying over the top of this climb opened up a gap and then the next thing we knew um he crashed on a descent <laughs> <laughs> It was super awkward. That. It was super awkward. The cameras just, oh, poor guy. cameras just cut to him, um, uh, kind of sitting by a parapet, having obviously <sighs> smacked into it really hard. Um, he got back on his bike and he'd obviously he'd ripped himself up on the right hand side of his kit and everything. And he had his, his little finger and the other finger next to it were bleeding. Um, so he couldn't quite grip mm. his, uh, his, uh, uh, gear, ch- gear shifters terribly well on the right hand side of his handlebar. And, he dropped away about 30, he was losing time really. And you could see he wasn't pedaling, you know, the, the group was going away from him and he called for the doctor's car and you saw him getting treatment from the doctor's car, right? And the time gap by now is about 40 seconds to the back of this group who were hammering it to get rid of him. And the next thing you know, the doctor's car has brought him back into the race. Brilliant. It was <laughs> Honestly, how did that? We didn't actually see it happen, but the rest of the convoy of cars from the front group gone. And all of a sudden, a few minutes later, he's back. That's awesome. Have you ever that seen that right. before? Have you ever seen that before? The doctor's I've seen car. cars do some desperate. Th- I mean, because it is a, it's a little bit of a loophole in the race, isn't it? Because I don't think that the, the medical cars are not going to take a fine. <laughs> so, you know, it, it can if you just. And, and it's also a vehicle you're allowed to hold on to when you're injured. Absolutely. It's what he was doing. It's like absolute permission. So it is a, and it's probably quite a smart roof from Kaviria. Um, but yeah, that is, 
I wonder what it is in the rules for that. Did it, was there anything afterwards about it? Well, I, I haven't. Not. No, I haven't looked at the commissaire's uh, ruling. I don't think so. No, I think it was, yeah. it was fine. And I don't yeah. think the other. I th- I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I, I think I think it is just a loophole. That yeah. If if you're quite smart, you can use to your advantage. Yeah. I guess a, a lot of the time you think, well, you're, you're pretty smashed up. Even if we get you back, it's not as if something's going to happen. Which Anything's, is going to change the face of the race. Which is but, exactly what happened. Anyway. He, he wasn't in a position then afterwards to to um to compete really. Um, the race was won by. Uh, coffee this rider called Victor Lafay, who's he's been in the team a, a few years. I think he was signed to them in 2018, and has always been on their radar for a long time. He grew up in Lyon. He was with the Chambéry Cycling Club, which is a feeder club for Cofidis, um, and scored as an amateur. Scored one or two sort of notable notable results. But I think most interestingly, I think it was the year before they signed him, he won L'Etape du Tour. Oh, the uh, Cyclo Sportif event. Yeah, which obviously you can't technically win, can you? Because it's not a wow. it's not a race, but there is a race there, you know. And you obviously get you you often get kind of quite recently retired pros having a tilt. I don't know if there's prize money. There probably is, isn't there, for the fastest time? Or well, I think a lot of time it's as you said, it's kind of these uh, professional amateurs, if you like. So it's quite prestigious for their sponsor to get it. So it's a proper race, that's for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't underestimate it. Yeah, but um. Yeah, that's pretty impressive then. I mean, it was an, it was an impressive attack with a with a c- couple of kilometres to go. Uh, there were two riders who who were off the front of this little group had attacked the group and were beginning to fade, including Victor Campanats, who turned himself inside out yesterday, um, and uh, Giovanni Carboni from um, Bardiani CSF. But they'd gone a bit early, and every rider other than La Fay had kind of. There was Oliveira was there, Nikias Arndt was there, and it all had goes to try and get away. It was a really dynamic group and no one could do much. They were all quite evenly matched. And Lefay was the most conservative of all of them, only attacked once, attacked exactly when it mattered. And he said afterwards he knew that from the moment he attacked, it would be about an eight minute effort to get to the line. Yeah. And he knew he could do an eight minute effort at a certain kind of, you know, power output. And that that's what he did. It was go. super smart. And it's I'm really pleased for <sighs> I'm really pleased for your old team, actually, Coffeydis, because mm. you know they're trying to they're trying to move on from the b- rather ineffectual Buani era and kind of recreate themselves. And it's been a long, long time. I mean, eleven years since they've won a race at the Giro. Admittedly, oh, they wow, that is a long time. Yeah, but they haven't been there. We haven't been at the Giro. That helps. That <laughs> contributes to not winning stages at the Giro. But you sense that even if they had been, they probably wouldn't have done. Um, so I'm pretty pleased for Cedric yeah. Vasseur. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah, I like Cedric. He, um, yeah. What about, so was it a bit of a bounce, like, what do you call it, damp squib behind? Yeah, completely. Completely. Really? Yeah. That's enough. That's, that's just 25 riders to the finish line in the GC group. Absolutely. Oh, what? Yeah, so it was a bit. What, well, well, it's partly because of what today represents, I think. Um, it's today a queenie stage. Today's a, today's a medium mount, mountain queen stage, um, you know. Uh, it's got an interesting, today's got a kind of La Planche des Belles Ooh, Yeah. It's got a kind of La Planche des Belfi kind of feel to it in the in the in the final, huh? In the final, in the final. But it's 158 k's of literally just up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, it's really hard, yeah. super hard today. Um, oh, the only other thing to say about crazy. yesterday before we move on to today, David, is Caleb Ewan. I saw that. So just he pulled the plug. Yeah, he. he what well, the, the weird thing was that he started. That's what I find a bit odd. Um, mm. And it was savage. The opening hour and a half of racing was savage. And then they started to climb again. And I think, you know, straight away the sprinters were shelled out and the Gruppetto formed. And I think he just thought, what am I doing? 
Um, because <laughs> what, what, what am I doing? He's what this hurts. Two two stages that'll do. But the, the, I think the disappointment from the Giro's point of view, and I'm sure it's gone down quite badly with RCS actually, um, mm. is that he was wearing for the first time in his career he was wearing the points jersey in a Grand Tour. Never done it before. So he was wearing Seriously? the Malia. Yeah, he's wearing the Malia Ciclamina, um, which is a bit, that adds another layer of, for want of a better word, disrespect to that to that decision, doesn't it? Um, if you're actually yeah. in the jersey, makes it a little bit more awkward, I think. Mm. Um, I guess that's why he started. I guess um, I guess that's why it started, yeah. So that's why he had to start. He was in the jersey. So he probably thought, well, I paid my dues. I started, guys. Very good point, yeah. Yeah. I'm out now. I didn't want to be here. You forced me to start the race. <laughs> Got to wear this stupid jersey. Don't want a stupid jersey. Yeah. You can just imagine the conversation. It does explain the massive swig of champagne that he took on the podium yesterday. And then when he was waiting, mm. when he was waiting in the press conference as well, just sat to the side of the rider who was answering the questions, um, his own social media team filmed him taking another massive toot on the old magnum of champagne. So perhaps, yeah, he, was, he knew what the plan was. It's strange that he's not worn the lead. He's not led a points competition at a Grand Tour before. I'm very surprised by that. But That's I think, one of those um, facts that's, like many, has floated by me. Yeah, but it's, a, it's an actual fact rather than one of ours. Partly because, it's now just stopped. partly because we didn't generate it. It came, from, it came from a credible source. Like life. Like, yeah, like life. Um, but it's interesting to in- explain, isn't it? Because my only explanation, and I, actually I'm so tired that I can't be bothered to actually look this up because it would take quite a lot of looking up, actually, going back through the years. But I've got this suspicion that Caleb at Grand Tours doesn't win at the first opportunity. Do you know what I mean? In the sense on the on the first sprinty stage of the Grand Tour, you tends mean, not or? to he, yeah exactly tends not to win that one, and he tends to win the second or third one. He k- tends to get into his hit his stride a little bit later on in the opening Not sprints like that. Mark Cavendish used to be like that as well, didn't he? he used to take a few to kind of warm up into it. Yeah, so. and then just kind of, kind of be relentless. Uh, yeah, so that, that's a fact that that may or may not be true. To look up, yeah, yeah, too much work. Yeah. At the beginning of the race, I yeah. might have actually. Look, you considered it, up, it. But I might have looked it up but anyway. oh, isn't that sort of thing you should have in the road book yeah it's exactly the sort of thing but I'm the editor of the road book so it would be my responsibility just to tell someone else to look it up but it's a good shout oh. I might I might suggest just that actually do a little Caleb Ewan infographic for 2021 and and other and other riders actually do a little do a little chart of you know like a picture, a pretty picture. Yeah. Do they get? Do they get? Do they get more winning or less winning throughout a Grand Tour? Oh, that's very good. Mm. That would be quite a good one. The, the how sprinters react their their performance trajectory over a three week Grand Tour. Because Marcel Kittel used to get less winning, didn't he? He used to winning less. Yeah, and so that would be a definitely descending. Yeah. Uh, line of performance. And Alexander Kristoff is always like, he's always last man standing sprinter, isn't he? So he's just, mm. he'll, he'll pick one up late on in the second week and then maybe another one in the third week, kind of other guy, you know? And I wonder if there are DC riders as well. They're just every Grand Tour, they just chip away. Yeah. Going up. Then there'll be others that just slide down. Oh, thanks, David. You're doing my job for me as a robot editor. If I have any <clears> great <throat> ideas for uh, sock design or something, I'll... It's, un- it's, unli- on my, it's unlikely. It's on my way. And I'll pass them off to somebody as well. <laughs> um, hmm. um, what else is going on? So how was uh, 
I've just got to check in on the old boy. How was uh, Rampco? That was absolutely fine. Okay. Might not Boy, be today, though. Just, You're going to have to fret today a little bit. Get yourself in front of a telly if you can do today. Cause I'm doing it today. Yeah. We've got, we, we got jammy day for the kids at home. Yeah, be interesting. What's jammy day? So, a pyjamas. Well, Harvey just likes to have a day where he just doesn't take his pyjamas off all day. Standard. So I think, good. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good at it as well. He really embraces it. The, rest, <laughs> the other kids kind of give up around 10, 11 o'clock and ha- have some dignity. <laughs> Harvey just pushes on through. <laughs> it's like totally indifferent to his appearance talking of uh, talking of no dignity guess what yesterday morning i didn't get chased by wolves but i did properly get chased by a little pack of dogs oh wow yeah that's cute it was i was horrible david i ran away you know i was telling you i stayed in this kind of monolithic agri hotel yet last night yes yeah, yes, on this, yes yes it was on the, a hilltop the multiple wedding venue the multiple wedding simultaneous wedding venue um but it was one of those runs which is uh, it's beautiful countryside, but it was one of those runs where your heart sinks a little bit because the only roads, the only paths you can take as you leave the hotel were down into the valley. And you're going, oh, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? Uh, I've got to, uh, it's not much fun running downhill anyway, because especially not my age, because it's all a bit, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you've got in the knowledge, and it's re- super steep as well, the climbs around there. And in the knowledge that, everything that you're doing down, you've got to come back up. You've got to grovel back up. Um, but also, oh, it was kind of seven o'clock in the morning when I headed out yesterday morning and I can just sporadic houses here and there with, and I'm really tuned into it because I'm looking for like open gateways where, where a potential dog could come hurtling down the concrete driveway and um, assault me. And guess what? It happened repeatedly. The first, the first assault was from a team of dogs, right? A slight, a medium-sized, lighter-coloured dog, and a and a small, slightly yappier, more aggressive black dog, and those two uh, flew out of their. This is why I can't get my head round right. Out of their own property, onto the public road, and after me like that, and he's yap 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 right on my ankles, and and I'm kind of I'm flinch running, flinching running like this, and then I think this is unsustainable. I can't carry on like this because. Something's going to, something's going to happen. I'm going to get bitten imminently unless I do something, unless I act. I was quite lucid actually in the moment. So once again, I'm, I'm beginning to grow into this. I actually pulled the brake, I pulled the anchors on, stopped and I turned and I went, for want of a better word, I used an expletive, which begins with F, right? And I went something off like that. And I pointed back at their house. So I spoke. Funyun. Yeah. I spoke quite, I spoke, I shouted at them in English. And um, they got the message. I stood up to them, David. <clears throat> That's very good, Ned. While well, you've been telling that brilliant story, I've done a bit of research on Caleb. Go on. Um, Didn't uh, You're right. In 2018, at the... I'm just get this right now. 2018, no Grand Tours. But 2019 and 2020, where it's relevant, because that's where he starts winning Grand Tours. It was always the first couple of stages. He'd do a third, a second, and then he'd, then he'd find his legs. There you go. So it's, it's not... a it's not really very big notes. We'd have to have the kind of the eye that you have, Ned, to have spotted that. But it's um, it is a it is an effect. It is a a trend that he has. So there you go. The, you were right. The you and delay effect. The you and delay effect. The yeah. first couple of days, just it's a bit of feels. Yeah, and then by the third, fourth time, third time, fourth time, he's ready to win. Do you know? <clears throat> do you know um, this part of Italy, David? 
well, Abruzzo is where we are today. Mm. Um, yeah. We're very much on, I keep, it's kind of haunting me actually, because I want to reread it. I wish I brought it with me, but have you ever read Catch 22? You must have done it. I know. I think I did like years ago though. Yeah. Year, like 20 plus years ago. Maybe. Yeah. Cause it's yes. actually, it's the kind of book you get given. Yeah. Exactly. When you're, it's a sort of rite of passage book. Yeah. Like J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, isn't it? <laughs> It's one of those. Exactly, it's up there with those. And actually, I don't think, I don't think, you, I don't think you're ready for it. I think it's a book you need to read, maybe a little bit later in life. I reread it. I reread it a few years ago, and I actually quite want to read it now because I'm in. The, basically, the reason I'm mentioning it is because we're kind of in the landscape that that plays out in now with the the um, American bombing campaign towards the end of the mm. Second World War in Abruzzo, and I'm I'm reading about some of the destruction here. It was um, kind of epic, actually. Um, and a nasty war that I think gets under report, un- unremembered, actually, in all the um, the kind of, especially at home in the UK, the kind of um, fixation on the Normandy landings mm. and that particular kind of arena of the of the Second World War. I think the the war in the Italian peninsula and on both sides, the carpet bombing of um, of Italian villages and the loss of civilian life here, um, the bombing of Pescara on the coast in in Abruzzo. And uh, yeah. and it, uh, and also, and I'm just reading a, about um, civilian massacre of Italian civilians in a in a village called Capistrello, which is in Abruzzo, um, mm. and that was carried out in June 1944 by Nazis. You know, f- 33 people were were rounded up and killed as a, a, an act of reprisal. You know, totally innocent victims. Um, no. So it's all a bit. <clears throat> that's a bit bleak sorry i didn't mean to but it's kind of oh, landscapes carry the scars don't they and um it's another oh, thing about grand tours that you kind of um you're caught, caught you these moments in history recall to memory aren't they yeah they are you know what there's actually it's funny you say that because there's a book that's on my radar for, has been for a couple of weeks it's the um it's the latest malcolm gladwell book it's called the bomber mafia oh. um subtitle a dream a temptation and the longest night of the second world war and i think it's a really well produced audio book actually um this kind of new thing that he's doing but that's about a little bit about what you're talking about and the fact that the powers that be in the the american air force were and i think politically were convinced that bombers would actually make for a, a more ethical war amazing um, yeah amazing but actually it ended up kind of it went so far the other way. And, um, but that's why I guess it's called a dream of temptation, the longest night of the second world war, because it ended up being just poor, pretty insanely savage. What the, the bombers did yeah. to Europe and Japan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a book. But the bomber mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. I recommend it. I've started it. But I think Joseph Heller would have been listening. a, I mean, Sorry, sorry, David. I think Joseph Heller, who wrote Catch Twenty Two, who based it on his own experiences actually in, in the um, Mediterranean arena of combat, he 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 flew as a bomber, uh, as a bombardier in the in the in the cockpit of a you know he's a bomb dropper. He's a guy who released oh, the bombs in the over Avignon and places like that in France. So he had mm. some pretty bleak experiences. But I think he would have been an excellent contributor or co-host of. Uh, never strays far actually i think it would have i think our slightly circular fuzzy philosophy would have quite um quite appealed to him uh, uh, my favorite bit in, in one of my favorite bits in catch 22 is this whole and it's almost a detail that keeps coming up throughout the opening sort of half of the book is um i don't know if you remember but you probably don't because it's a long time ago since you read it but he keeps complaining yasarian that um in his 
bivouac in his in his tent at the airbase, he keeps saying to his superior officer, he says, "There's a dead body. There's a dead man in my in my tent. Well, can you can you have it removed? It's horrible to sleep with a dead man in my tent. Why did you put a dead man in my tent? There is a there is a dead man in my tent." He says over and over again, and this commanding officer just says, "That's impossible." And he says, well, I, I, I see it with my eyes every day. There is a dead man in my tent. And the commanding officer just, no, it's actually impossible. A dead man cannot be. <laughs> he goes, yeah, but, oh, but, there is, but there is one. No, there isn't. <laughs> I can remember it being pretty funny, like just darkly funny the whole way through. Uh, yeah, I mean, was, the, whole, uh, the whole premise of... You know, only a yeah. sane man would would try to fake insanity. <laughs> Boom! That's your catch twenty two, isn't it? You know, to get out of to get out of dying. <laughs> so good. I want to get. I want to not die. And in order not to die, I've got to fake my insanity, which is the sanest <laughs> thing you could possibly do. You're stuck, mate. It's the human condition, right there. I, I do recommend oh, it. It's God. a brilliant book. Uh, yeah, it's a brilliant Very book. Good. Um. Um. Yeah, have a look there at, is, put on your screen, sorry, if you've got any other business, but before we put on your screen, if you can look at it, the today's profile and tell me about it. I've, yeah, I've got it up. It's, it's like, it's like shark teeth. Yeah. It's, um, it looks really, really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, as you say, it's quite short, which just makes it harder, right? 158 Did kilometers. Did you say it's going to be gravel as well? Yeah. So the final 1600 meters, um, is, is, uh, not <sighs> a road. It's not a road. Oh, it's, a, it's a um, ski slope without snow. So it's gravel. And it's some um, 15% kind of thing. And I'm going oh, to go and... Gonna be a cracking day. I'm going to go and look at the gravel and actually kind of do a bit of recon on it. Um, but it's it's reminiscent a little bit, isn't it, of... Do you remember the year... Plateau de Bay. No, um, Plonge de Belfi. The plank, when they extended it, where we you decided to treat treat me to a birth- handicap. You, yeah, it was my birthday present from you, wasn't it? It was. What a present! It's lovely. Yeah, we'd yeah. race. We'd race up the Plonge de Belfi without a bicycle. Um, but yeah. it's a bit like that. Link it's in a bit the show like notes that. to that video, by the way. Uh, we could do. We could do. I'll send the. I'll send yeah. you the link. But yeah, there's mm. not. I mean, the other feature of it is there's just not uh, no flat road. Is it? I mean, it's just it's just up and down all day. So uh, today will be a GC day. Um, I'm going to watch this. Yeah, it'd be good. Me and Arch sit down, watch some bike racing on a Sunday. In your, Lovely. In your pajamas. Um, well, I won't be. Harvey will still okay. be. <coughs> oh, don't tell you about. Take themselves out. Don't tell you about my. Um, I came very close to Paddy Bevin yesterday without knowing it. Oh yeah, that's your Remco. Yeah. So, um, how, what do you what you mean actually physically physically close, close to, to Paddy him. Bevin? Oh, that must be terribly exciting well, I, for you, Ned. Yeah, but unfortunately, I didn't know it at the time. I only found out subsequently um, that it was oh, no. that it was Paddy Bevin. It transpired, and part of the reason why this is exciting is that it's Paddy Bevin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, who I've obviously. never I've never actually met him face to face, and I said, oh, no. if he's got wind of the fact that I'm this kind of weird stalker, he might punch me in, might punch me in the face anyway. So it's probably not ideal ever to ever to meet him. Actually, he did a great ride yesterday, David. He did a, you know, I talked about this some um, difficult hour and a half. Objectively, yeah, yeah, he did, he did. He did a. We were talking about Thomas de Ghent and um, wondering why we hadn't seen De Ghent get in a breakaway because it was a perfect looking day for De Ghent yesterday and he didn't appear at all. You know, almost every other rider at one point or another yeah. seemed to be trying to get in the break and De Ghent wasn't there. Um, but 
Bevin did a proper de Ghent at one point and did that thing that you described so admirably well of, um, uh, of trying to form a break by doing the kind of five minute sustained effort on the front oh, and yes. just and just doing just rip it, it off the front just tear it off um with brute force rather than nuance um and mm. without a kind of one big sharp acceleration or a sprint to get clear Tact- tactic free just, just turn the screw it, and it looked really good yeah. and he did actually it might even have been the banal group that he tore away that then obviously just <sighs> stalled but anyway after the stage had finished and the podium had been done and everything, and we were leaving to go on another long drive, um, we just pulled off uh, onto a motorway uh, just behind two car- two cars from the Israel Startup Nation. And um, we wondered, normally the cars uh, have the mechanics and the swannies in and the DSs are driving and there are no riders, um, unless that is sometimes the, you know, the, the stage winner or the jersey wearer get separately because they have to be delayed. They have to be held back to do the podium and they get in the back of a car to go to the hotel. So it's always, you know, at the end of a stage, if you're interested, if you're a bit of a schlug, like I am, it's always quite interesting to kind of look here <laughs> in the window, here in the window as you come past to go, Ooh, ooh I, wonder, I wonder who's in their car. Like that. Window licking. Yeah. Like a bit of a train spotter. And then if you, and if you spot a rider, you can kind of tick him off your list of riders that you've spotted, you know, calmly giving them a thumbs up and a little wink. <laughs> Trying to be really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, so I was schlooging through the window and, um, and uh, actually, Matt Stevens went, oh, that's Alex Dowsett. That's Alex Dowsett in the back of the car. And I, I was actually driving, so I couldn't really give it the full schlug. I glancing across to see if that, and I couldn't quite, yeah, it looked a bit like that. Desperately. Yeah, desperately. Looked a bit like Alex Dowsett. So Matt Stevens goes uber schlug, right? And actually goes, and actually goes, oh, I'll text him. Right? To say that we're behind him or alongside, you know. So Matt Stevens texted Alex Dowsett like that. And, and got, for a while... Alex Dow said, you know, he read the message because you can tell on WhatsApp, blue tick, yeah? And he um, he just got, Matt Stevens just got blue ticked. He'll be removing those today. <laughs> Matt, Matt Stevens just got blue ticked. In other words, I've read it. I've read it, but I'm not going to respond, you know? So, he's, that, so you get that creeping paranoia of kind of like, oh, I've sent him a message. He's not interested. Or maybe he's just a bit pestered by me, a bit bothered like that. And then Dowsett replies eventually saying, no, no, I'm on the bus. <laughs> So then it's like, who's the mystery rider? Oh, is it? Who's the mystery? Who and then, it? and then we pull up alongside the other car, or I, over, I quite deliberately orchestrate an overtaking maneuver actually, so that I can schlug into the other car like that. And I'm uh, this time I'm so carried away that I think I spot Dan Martin, right? But then I'm going, and anyway, that's not that, that. That's another story, but it's not Dan Martin. But then we get another message from Alex Dowsett saying it's Paddy Bevin in the car. <laughs> He had to, so, and you'd already passed. Already passed him. So you, the moment had gone. Oh, I see. And I oh, couldn't. Man. I couldn't then suddenly decelerate to allow them to kind of overtake me again, so I could wave them look. by again. Mind you, you'd be like that with I'm Redco. Just, I'm just. I'm just glad that Matt Stevens didn't reply to Alex immediately. Go. Who is in the car then? <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> we need to know. <laughs> oh, but you'd be, yeah, you'd be like that with Remco, wouldn't you? If it was, uh, if you were overtaking, exactly like you have your phone I'd out, Instagram live, you'd be all like, <laughs> go time. Hashtagging it up, giving him a big thumbs up like that. Go Remco. Remco can. 
<laughs> so oh, fun on God. the motorways of fun on the autostrada of uh, mm. of the Giro d'Italia, David. Um, anyway, so that's it. That's that. That's that. That's it. All right. All right. Very good. One more stage um, after tomorrow. Are we going to do a rest day pod, or should we should we decide a bit later? Don't <laughs> decide on the rest day, don't we? I think it's well, I suppose. Yeah. All right. It would have to be a special edition. Well, on, um, yeah. Oh, what do you think of my idea about Never Stray's Farrar? Never Stray's Farrar is very good. I mean, I don't think the problem is, I don't think Tyler would want to be involved. Oh, well, that's quite fundamental it, to its success, isn't it? I uh, mean, Tyler's not a very media person, isn't he? Um, he's a fireman. He's a fireman now as well. Yeah, but I also, but you know, for years, he's a lovely guy. For years, he, he was have, the face yeah. of Transitions Spectacles, wasn't he? Or, or I think that's what put him off at all. Probably. Ah. Those adverts. Ich bin. That's what, so it was in like five or six different languages. And so, and <laughs> at the time, Mark Cavendish was basically bullying him. And um, so he just called him Ich bin. Where's Ich bin? <laughs> because that's what it was. Ich bin Tyler Farah. Yeah, well, it goes back, <laughs> doesn't it? It goes back to when Cav started out at T-Mobile, at Telecom, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, he just picked him. So that was it. So he spent a lot of time in Germany watching German Eurosports where That's right. where Tyler yeah. Farah, his advert, his transitions ad had been dubbed into German. So it was like, hi, ich bin Tyler Farah. Ich trage transitions, brillen. Uh, so that's what, so yeah, his nickname is Ich bin. It's <laughs> great. Also, ich bin. Also, ich bin. He's quite good at coming, God. he's quite good at coming up with nicknames, isn't he, Mark Cavendish? Oh, oh yeah, he finds somebody's weak point. And then, he, then the good thing, he's good at it because then he never lets it go. So he just wears it into everybody. Cause it's, I mean, that's what you've got to do with a good nickname, isn't it? You, you've got to own it. Cause, and that's the other rule of nicknames. You can't give it to yourself like Italian cyclists do. <laughs> <laughs> you can, no, a nickname has to be kind of bestowed upon you, doesn't it? Imposed. And imposed, actually. Yeah. Imposed upon you. Not, you can't say, well, I'm a shark. Can everyone start calling me a shark, please? Or, or I'm a pirate. I'm going to be a pirate. Can everyone start calling me a pirate? <laughs> and it goes on, doesn't it? There's lots of them, lots of animal names as well with Italian cyclists. We should do a list later. Actually, if anybody on Twitter, if you can go through the last 20 years of Italian riders named after animals, that would be amazing. The Lion King. Yeah. Chippo. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I wonder who came, uh, yeah, who came, who comes up with all this stuff? I love that. Pelizzotti had one as well. That's so good. Can everyone start calling me the shark, please? <laughs> guys, guys, change your plan. I'm now the shark. Is that okay? Oh, that's so good. It doesn't work. It like doesn't that. work like that. <laughs> oh, calves. You paint it. Go on then. Paint it on your helmet. Go on. It's fine. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Get a saddle made. Oh God, that's good. Oh, that's really cheered uh, yeah. me up. And also, um, Caleb McEwen's. No, Caleb. Say so there we go. Caleb Ewan's nickname. Cav's nickname for Caleb Ewan is Cadell McEwen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Generic Australian cyclist, Cadell McEwen. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, he's quite funny. Oh, yeah. We actually, I need to get some of the nicknames off Cav, actually, see what they are, see yeah. what the latest ones are. Ich bin, ich bin. <laughs> ich bin, ich bin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you don't think Tyler Farrah will do it, no? Well, no, but it could be like a bit like um, In Search of Farrah. In the sense that we call it just because it's like never stray, never stray Farah. Yeah, and then we can even just, if we don't get him, just, even the journey to try and get him would be great. We could do like Zoom calls with his, the chief of his fire station. You know, yeah, 
I could have a blurred out picture of him. We can put a picture of him on the actual thing, sort of steal his image. That's not a problem. Um, and yeah, and then we can just try and get a daily call with him at the fire engine, but just never get it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> in search of Farrah. Uh, uh, yeah, very that's good. good. And then maybe never stay, never strays France. Never strays France. Well, we, we're contemplating more, more to come on that, isn't there? I think. Yeah, so we're thinking about that. yeah, yeah. That's a bit embargoed. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, speak to you tomorrow morning for a change. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, there you go. All, All right. right, speak to you later. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.